0: You're listening to a sermon delivered at First Family Church from the series, The King and the Kings, Anticipation in the Books of Samuel. For more information and sermons, visit our website at firstfamily.church. Good morning, First Family. Let's try that again. It's a rough crowd. Good morning, First Family. My name is Nick Reed. My wife, Heather. Heather, where are you? Are you here? She's here. There she is. Yep. I just say that because... Normally, no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, we're always late to church. Well, actually, we're late everywhere, right? And so, just checking to see if she was here. Um, my wife, Heather, and I, and a team of amazing people, I think they're amazing, are planning First... Uh, we're not planning First Family Church. We're at First Family Church. We're planning uh, City Point Church in Urbandale um, in March of 2018. And so, we are just really thankful to be here. First thing I have to say is, you're lucky this morning, because I have a cold, which drops my, my voice about an octave, which is a good thing. Uh, and so you're, you're all blessed by that this morning. But um, other thing is, the last time I preached, I preached at First Family Bondurant, and Tanner made fun of me for like a week for going an hour and a half. And so, I'm just kidding. I didn't go an hour and a half. I'm kidding. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm not, he's not kidding. Um, but man, I just want to say thank you to you guys, uh, because you probably already know this. But your staff and your pastors here are absolutely amazing people. Um, As a church planner and with our team, it is an incredible experience to be a part of a church that has a sending attitude. That has the attitude of let's multiply, let's build up, and let's release. Let's send out. I've heard Pastor Todd say it all the time. When you're you're releasing people and it hurts, it's probably a good thing because those are great people. But man, to be a part of a church that empowers people to to go, it's like sometimes Todd gets more excited. It's not against you guys. He gets more excited about seeing you go, (laughs) right, than seeing you stay here. That means he has an amazing attitude for the kingdom of God. Amen? That's awesome. I believe this. I believe first that Des Moines needs Jesus. I also believe that all of central Iowa and Iowa and the Midwest and the United States and the world absolutely need Jesus. Here's what we don't need. We don't need a political system to save us, right? Because it can't. We don't need even a moral set of standards to save us because it can't. We need Jesus. But one church is not going to get that done. But if all of the churches in Des Moines that believe in the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ come together and share resources and build each other up and share people and pray for each other on a regular basis, we come together and we partner together, I truly believe that Des Moines can be a city one for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe that central Iowa can be. And I believe that all of Iowa and the Midwest and the world can be one for Jesus Christ. Because what did he say? He said to Peter, upon this rock, upon your confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, what did he say? Jesus said, Who will build his church? I will build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to stop that. There is nothing more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, man, it is just an awesome thing to be with you guys. I also want to thank you as individuals. Because our team, all we've experienced here is absolute love, right? You've been welcoming. You've been empowering. You've been friendly, You've been examples of Christ-likeness to us. And so I just want to say thank you to you. That is amazing. So you could pat yourselves on the back because you're doing a good job, right? Or you can just give praise to Jesus because you're doing a good job. So we're going to continue today in our series called The Kings and the King. And I feel like that's like a movie title. It's, It's like The Kings and the King. It just comes out better that way, right? I mean, I feel like it should be said that way. But the first two weeks of this series... I missed because our team was at the fairgrounds helping uh, Life Change Church get ready to launch today. So the only thing you're allowed to be distracted by today is if you're praying for them, okay? Um, But we were helping them launch, and so I missed it. I came into the office Monday morning after Pastor Todd preached that first message back from the summer, um, and one of the ladies said, man, that was so good. I usually only go to the 8.30 service. Um, but I, it was so good, I had to stay for both, because it was just, it was challenging to me. So I took out my phone, I got that fancy FFC Connect app, right? There you go, Tanner, that's your, that's your uh, their plug there. You should get that app on your phone. And I listened to those messages while I was at the gym, okay? And you ever drive up to a stoplight, and there's a car right next to you, and you look over, and there's just a, a guy or girl in there, and you can't hear what they're hearing, but you can see them. You know where I'm going with that, right? You can't hear it, but they're just like, like they're just singing away, or they're like, I'm usually like, have a look, like, right? I was that guy in the gym, listening to these messages, right? I do my thing, put them down, sit down on the bench, and I'm listening, mm, yes. Amen. Mm. People are like, like, should we call somebody? Like, is this, it's okay? But that's how awesome this series has been. So my prayer is that you have been challenged as much as I have been challenged just by listening to these messages. This is a good series. And so we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You can grab your Bible and turn there. Um, if you don't know where it is, no shame in looking at the table of context. In your Bible, it's in the Old Testament. Find that 2 Samuel chapter 6. The, the title for this message is The Casualty of Casualness, and by casualness, I don't just mean laid back and happy-go-lucky. I mean careless, over-comfortable, the casualty of casualness. As a worship leader, and I talked to Josh about this last week, and I've felt it a number of times. I'm sure the whole team has felt it. I'm sure... Pastor Todd's felt it. I'm sure the rest of your pastors have felt it. And I'm sure you've felt it if you've been in church for any amount of time. And if you're new to this church thing, I just pray against this in your life. But as a worship leader, we, we get up there and we do not want people looking at us. It's not, that's not our, our goal. We want people to be looking at Jesus. But the reality of the situation is we're in front of you. And so you are going to be looking at us, right? And so we kind of, with CityPoint, adopted this motto that this is, how, this is how we're going to lead worship. Pretend you're having a conversation with somebody. Pretend my Bob is a person. I'm having a conversation with somebody. I'm talking to them, but I just keep looking over here. But I'm talking to them. I'm listening. I'm engaged here, but I'm just kind of distracted. I'm looking at something over here. The more that I look over here, and I'm intently focused on that thing, they're going to want to know what I'm looking at, right? They're going to want to know he's not here, he's here. It's the same thing with leading worship. We want to be so enthralled with who Jesus is, and in the moments that we're leading, we want to be connected with God. And the way Josh put it to me last week is we want to lead by example, right? We want, to be, we want to be worshiping for real, and so that when people look at us, they're like, man, I want to go there too. And then it causes people to turn and look at Jesus. The problem is that sometimes we get lazy with how, how we lead worship. We get lazy with coming to church and just singing songs, right? Right? I mean, we might even be singing a song that the drum beat is awesome and you can feel it. And I'm a proponent of feeling it, right? I like to stand on the stage and feel it in my feet. But sometimes we get so distracted by that the dynamics of a song may be awesome, but we might be singing heresy and wouldn't even know it, right? Because we're just doing church. We're just going through the motions. And so we, we tend to get lazy, we tend to get careless. We tend to get a little too comfortable and casual with just singing songs at church. But what takes place? I'll tell you what takes place. Idolatry takes place. Because we're no longer worshiping, right? The worship leader is no longer leading you to the throne of God. It's just a concert where I'm focused on me I'm focused on the dynamics of the song and I'm focused on making sure that people are engaged. But that's not worship. And so we come to church and we tend to get casual about that. And then we even, it overflows and we get casual about the preaching of God's word. Right? And then what happens is we leave here and in life we get casual about our standards of everyday living. We get casual about our actions. We get casual and lazy about our thoughts, about our words. And then we've lost our testimony. Right? And it all started because we got a little too comfortable with doing this thing called church. We go to church and you got to ask, did worship actually happen this morning? Right? So I'm a parent of four kids. Just attracted to crazy, I think. Um, But I love my kids, absolutely love my kids. There's no one on this planet that I love more than my children except my wife, okay? I also love teaching moments with my children. But one of the things that frustrates me the most is when I give my kids a job to do, and they go gladly, and they do that job because they know they have to do it so that they can go do whatever they want to do, right? They, they, they want to go... Uh, out and play with their friends or whatever they want to do. And so cleaning your room is an example. i say, hey, go clean your room, okay? And then you can do your thing. Okay, boom. Go clean your room. Like five minutes later, they come back. Dad, I'm done. Okay, did you clean it? Yep. Did you clean it right? Yep. Okay. They go, okay. And then I'll go examine the room about five minutes later, and I come to, I'll come to find a massive pile of what once was clean clothes, Right? just transferred into the dirty clothes pile, right? And so you never actually wore those clothes. You just created more work for mom, right? Or, and then everything else that was on the floor is now either on the bed, in the closet, on the dresser, or shoved in the dresser, so you can't even open it next time, right? And I'm like, okay, here's the deal. That was not, you missed the details of what it means to clean your room rightly, You got lazy, you got comfortable, you got casual about doing the job right, and I released you to go play with your friends, okay? But now what happens? Because they failed to do the job the way they knew the job was supposed to get done, now they are about to lose their freedom, okay? They're about to be locked in their room. I'm just kidding. They're about... (laughs) They're about to lose their freedom because now I have to go and find you wherever you are in the Midwest, sometimes it feels like, <laughs> and, and I have to bring you home, okay, and we go up to your room, and I say, okay, did you do the job? Yep, did the job. Did you do the job right? And then what happens? A lot of times in my house, they get on the, there's the reasons why, <laughs> they didn't do it right. They get on the defensive, they feel guilty, and then they realize in that moment, oh no, it's about to get worse for me because I didn't do the job right in the first place. Right? When we get lazy, when we get casual, all that happens is we lose our freedom. We lose our freedom. So today we're not going to be talking about perfection to earn salvation we're not going to be talking about works or to be good enough to earn our salvation because that's just impossible you can't do that we are going to talk about today the importance of upholding and prioritizing the holiness of god and letting that drive us in our relationship with christ on a daily basis so, today's story in 2 Samuel 6, we're going to see the negative results of casualness and carelessness and overcomfortableness, if that's a word, in David's relationship with and to God. And then we're going to see the positive results of a shift that David makes in his life of obedience and reverence and prioritizing the holiness of God and what that results in his life and allows him to do. And so. First thing I want you to do is look at this next slide. Um, all this is, is a, it's going to tell you, I should look back there. It's going to tell you, um, like Pastor Todd said last week, so much of 2 Samuel is mirrored in First Chronicles, okay? And so we're not going to just, if you want to, take a screenshot of that, and here's why. Because we really don't want you just to take, just to listen to what we have to say and go home, and just like take it as gold. No, we want you to go home, and we want you to dig into the word on your own. That's why everybody in this room should be a part of a lighthouse, because that's an opportunity for you to then go, and with other people, look through this stuff, and get a little deeper, right, and see if what we actually just said is is true, and through that process, you will be sharpened. So, that's just what that, that is for. We're not going to preach through 1 Chronicles. It would be really redundant and all that stuff. Okay? But leading up to today's story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, a little background if you haven't been here, a little review if you have been here. Civil war has taken place. The nation of Israel against Judah, right? They've been fighting. David has gone from being just the king over Judah to now because of his victories, And because of his strength in the Lord growing, he has been anointed also over all of Israel. David has made the city of Jerusalem, now the city of David, the political capital of Israel. And in today's story, we see that he desires to make it the spiritual capital of Israel as well by taking the Ark of the Covenant, which is the very presence of God with his people on earth, and putting it in its rightful place with, his, with God's people in Jerusalem. David is enjoying a time of victory over his enemies. But then he gets a little too comfortable with that position in life. He gets a little too casual. So, are you there 2 Samuel 6, now that you've had like 20 minutes to get there. 2 Samuel 6, verse 1, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal-Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. For a hundred years at this point, the ark of God, the very presence of God with his people had been separated from where it should be among God's people in Israel for a hundred years because the Philistines had captured it in battle on the battlefield. They had captured the ark of God. But what happened was they took it back and they started to suffer illness and downfall because of the ark of God. And so they're like, we got to do something about this. So they built this, this cart with wheels, and they yoked it to two young oxen that had never, ever been yoked before. You can read about this in, in uh, First Chronicles 6. Um, but he yoked it, they yoked it to two young oxen that had never been yoked before. And they said, okay, we're going to release them. They put the ark of God on this cart, and we said, we're going to release them. If they go all the, all the way back... To Israel where, where the ark should be, then we'll know that this sickness that we're suffering is from God, and we're not going to mess with that. Like he actually said, we're not going to harden our hearts like Pharaoh did in Egypt. We're just going to let it go. We're going to let it go. And he said, but if it doesn't, if these oxen do not go back right, to where it's supposed to be, we'll know that this sickness is by coincidence and we're good, God's not against us, we'll keep the ark of, ark of God and all will be good. Lo and behold, what they do, they put the, the ark of God on this cart, they release the oxen, and they went all the way back to where the ark of God belonged with the nation of Israel. And so the Philistines were like, all right, we're out. We're not, we're not dealing with that anymore. And so the... Uh, The ark of God is now at this place called Baal-Judah. And and here's the thing. I want you to get this. The importance of the ark of the covenant. This is setting up. Because what does it say about, about the ark of the covenant? That it is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. That's how important this thing was. Because... In the Old Testament, the veil that that separated the holy of holies from the everyday person had not yet been torn. And so the presence of God was not just available to all people. Like the presence of God, like it is here with us today, because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. It wasn't like that back then. And so for the presence of God to actually have a dwelling place among his people was an absolute picture of God's perfection and God's holiness on earth. And so this is a big deal. Look at verse 3. And they carried the ark of God, now this is the Israelites, carrying the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. With the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. Now, they're driving it on a new car. I don't know if this is the same car that it came there from the Philistines on, but they are driving it on uh, in the same way as their enemies, which I find interesting. In Exodus 25, it describes how the ark of God was supposed to be carried. There's Four golden rings at the corners and poles would be run through those corners and only the Levites were allowed. Four, four Levites hold the Ark of God on their shoulders and walk with it. That's how the Ark of God was supposed to be carried. And then several places in the book of Numbers, it talks about the fact that the holy things of God in the Ark and the Ark itself we're not allowed to be touched. And in some places, it even says not allowed to even be looked at. And so, we're going to give David the benefit of the doubt. At best, David was ignorant of how you were actually supposed to carry the ark of God. But what I fail to see here when I look, when I read this story, is when David gets. Down on his knees and says, God, like this is a huge thing that we're about to do. How are we? How do we do this? Like, this is your very presence with us. How are we supposed to carry this? Because we've seen that David was a guy that he sought after what God wanted. David was a man after God's own heart. But in this instance, I don't see where David actually inquires of the Lord, how are we supposed to do this thing, right? And so they carry it the wrong way. <laughs> of all the places that the ark of God had gone up to this point, being carried the right way on the Levite shoulders by poles, of all the places, of all the treacherous terrain that that ark had been, it had not yet once fallen. They carry it the wrong way, and what is about to happen, happens. They get casual. They get laid back. They get a little too comfortable and confident in their good spot in life, right? I mean, don't we do that too? Like, life's good. I got this. Let's go. And sometimes we forget. This is not, these are not my victories. This was God's victory, So maybe i got to keep on asking God, what's next? What's next? What's next? Don't worry. I'm not going to spend this much time going through the whole thing. You're like, you really are going to be here for an hour and a half. But I want you to understand and see that we're setting up the fact that the holiness of God is absolutely something to be prioritized in our life. If God prioritizes his own holiness, man, I think that that's something that I want to prioritize as well. I'm actually commanded to prioritize it. I hear a lot of people um, say, man, I really struggle to see what the, uh, what the point of the Old Testament is. Anybody ever been there? Because it's a little more boring when you, when you just scan through it. But a lot of these, like I said at the beginning, a lot of this stuff will make good movies, right? But look, look at this, Okay. That right there, that's the New Testament, this bottom part. That is the Old Testament. There's a lot more Old Testament in the Bible than New Testament. And so maybe there's some weight to it. God uses that much of the Bible, I think, to set up the standard of his holiness. And what that does for us, when we can read through it, is it just a big reminder that I fall short. (laughs) That's impossible. How could any human being ever live up to that standard? Well, guess what? We can't. Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because we have offended his holiness. And so to be in the Old Testament and to see how God works with his people across time, it's a great place to be to remind yourself of your absolute need for a savior. Let's go on. Verse 5. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals, which they should have been because this is the ark of God. It's a great thing. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, that's like a rocky place, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Now, when I read that, sometimes I'm like, man, God, don't you think that's a little extreme? Like, he was, like he was trying to save the thing from falling off this cart, okay? But here's the thing. All the right motives in the world do not change the holiness of God. You can try to do the right thing, but you can't do it in the wrong way. The actual word there in the original language for anger, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, has to do with favor or not favor. It has to do literally with someone's face turned towards you or away from you for favor. Or taken their favor away. And so what happened in that moment that Uzzah failed to uphold the holy law of God, God's face turned away from him. Because he could not look on him anymore because of his sin. And what does this say? It was because of his error. The word there actually means irreverence. Okay? And this is the only time in the entire Old Testament that that word for error is used in the original language. Here's why it's the only time. Because his sin was so great that the penalty had to be death. This is is what the definition reads for that word error. Only used one time in the Old Testament. An error or irreverence of such great proportions, the penalty had to be death. The only penalty that would measure up to the weight of his error, offending the holiness of God by touching the holy things of God in the ark of God, the only penalty that weighed up to that was death. There's no getting out of that. Anything short would not have been in the character of God's holiness. And so he had to die. He had to die. Are you getting the picture? Prioritizing God's holiness is an absolute necessity. It's an absolute necessity. If it's a, priori- a priority of God, then man, we need to make it a priority of our own. Across all time, everywhere, then, now, and in the future. I remember uh, Steve Christensen, who's, who's Life changed Church, he preached... Uh, a couple months ago, I think it was, but he I remember something he said. He said, God is for you, it's just not about you. And it got me thinking, man, I know God loves me, but in my humility, I gotta know I'm not his top priority. His own holiness is his top priority. <laughs> I've heard it put this way before, God is for God. And you're like, man, well, I don't want to serve a guy that's that arrogant, right? Well, here's the deal. If I was to say that to you, it would be arrogance. Because we as people were created by God to serve others. And what what does Jesus say? He says, think of other people as more important than yourself. But God, he's actually worthy of that statement. I am for myself. And when I think about that, I'm like, yes, I want to serve a God that powerful. Right? Because if God didn't prioritize his own holiness, then there's a good chance I could work hard enough to save myself. The fact that he prioritizes his own holiness shows us even more the significance of the cross. That's an amazing thing to me. And then verse 8 and 11 goes on. 8 through 11 goes on, and David gets angry because of the the fact that the anger of the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And I think he's just really frustrated with himself because of his carelessness, because of his his overcomfortableness, again that word, with what has just happened. He's afraid to take the ark any further because he fears further anger from the Lord if they move it and they do anything wrong. So get this, get, you see how his freedom is now gone. There's no freedom in how he's living at this point. And so he leaves the ark there in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, where they had gotten to. And so this three-month time, something shifts in David. It gives David some good time just to be before the Lord and say, God, we did something wrong. (laughs) We did something wrong. Reveal to me what we did wrong. Show me what we did wrong. And he gets this time, I'm just assuming, because he makes a shift, come in verse 12, to just be before the Lord, to confess, and to make a change. So we see this. If you're writing anything down, you might want to see this since it's on the on the slide. But this point, casualness in our relationship to God leads to frustration, anger, fear, and guilt. Casualness or carelessness or overcomfortableness Casualness in our relationship to God leads to frustration, anger, fear, and guilt, okay? But now we're about to see the opposite result. Like, what happens in David's life when he makes that shift, when he starts to say, yes, okay, I am going to be serious about the holiness of God, and we're going to be fine-tuned to the details of what God says we should be doing, What's the result of that and the shift that David makes? And so in verse 12, it's kind of this turn of events. And the ark of God is brought up from the house of Obed-Edom after he sees that, man, God has been blessing the house of Obed-Edom for the last three months. His anger must have subsided, and now David's in this good place. All right, let's finish the job. Let's bring it all the way there, right? And they bring it up with rejoicing. Verse 13 to 15. It says this, And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Sounds like freedom to me. And David was wearing a li- linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a horn. Right? And so you can read about the details of this in 1 Chronicles 15, but it seems now that they are carrying the ark in the right way. So whether David was ignorant before or not, now he seeks the Lord. He finds that this is how we got to carry the ark, because it says after those carrying the ark, and in 1 Chronicles 15 it actually says that it was the Levites carrying the ark with the poles. After they had taken six steps, they stopped. They stopped. And what did they do? They prioritized the holiness of God by offering burnt offerings and sacrifices to God. Right? Some commentaries say that after every six steps, they made sacrifices to God. I don't know if that's right or not. Here it just says after they took six steps. But the point of the whole thing is that David's made a shift. Okay? Now we're going to prioritize god's law we're going to prioritize his holiness we're going to do what he says we're going to seek him we're going to honor him we're going to uphold him we're no longer going to be casual about our worship to him now what does this allow david to do verse 14 david danced before the lord with all his might and david was wearing a linen ephod it gave him freedom Because now he no longer had to deal with the consequences of his actions or the irreverence of the people that were with him because of their casualness toward God. And so they have freedom. And so while casualness in our relationship to God leads to frustration, anger, fear, and guilt, get this, here's the other thing you might want to write down. Obedience, honor, And reverence for God's holiness gives freedom in our worship. So David enters into Jerusalem with this unashamed worship, just completely enthralled with God. Right? He's not focused on these horizontal relationships. Even though these horizontal relationships are important to God, this relationship, is most important to God. And what's more, he was wearing a priestly garment called the linen ephod. That that was not uh, a royal garment that a king would normally be wearing walking into Jerusalem after a a big victory like this. No, he's just here. He's right here, just him and God. He's totally enthralled with him. And what happens is, Mikal, if you look, it, it doesn't describe her as what she is in the fact that she is David's wife. Nope. It describes her as Saul's daughter because she was actually David's wife, but that's not what this passage says about her, because it was identifying her with Saul. Why? Because what's the first thing she does? She looks at David in his free expression of worship and condemns him for it. And he says, you look like a fool. What are you doing in those priestly garments? You're a king. Act like you're supposed to be acting, right? Right? Verse 16 says she despised him in her heart. And that word despised actually means worthless and vile. She looked at him in the way that he was worshiping and in, in his freedom at that point and says, you are a worthless and vile man. Right? She had the same concern for herself and her own image and the earthly kingdom just like her father did failing to prioritize the holiness of God in her life. And she was not free. She wasn't free. David's response, I love this. Every, anybody ever remember the song? I don't know. I think it was like the late 90s, early 2000s. And I'll become even more undignified than this. Some would say it's foolishness. Anybody? Okay, good. A few people. Because, I mean, I I danced like a fool to that song at some concerts, so I can't be alone in that. But what that's talking about is this, this is the thing. David says, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. That word contemptible means more lightly esteemed, even cursed Because David's obedience and reverence for God leads him to freedom in his worship and he's not concerned with outward things or appearances or anything like that because he's right here. Because he's right here. When I look at David and the way that he was acting in those moments, it's like, man, I want to be that way in my everyday life. I want to be that way at church. I want to be that way when I leave this building. I want to be that way at home. I want to be that way in the shower, right? Sometimes, I'm, I'm, sometimes my, I practice these things, and my kids walk in on me, and they're like, Dad, you're talking to yourself again, right? I'm like, I don't care. i <laughs> so I kind of get embarrassed a little bit, but I'm like, shut up, go away, right? But I want to be like that. So at, some, at this point, some of you may be wondering, like, man, a couple things. Nick, it sounds like you might be talking about a, uh, like a gospel of works, like the fact that we have to be good enough to earn, the rightness, earn rightness with God. Or like, hey, if we're under the grace of Jesus because of his death on the cross, then why do we need to now prioritize the holiness of God? So the answer to those questions kind of becomes our application for us today. First, I want to be absolutely clear that I am in agreement with the leadership of this church that there is no possible way that any human being can save themselves by being good enough. There's no amount of good things that you could do to earn rightness with God. It's just impossible. So what we're not talking about today is how we should live in order to be saved. We're talking about how do we prioritize holiness now that we are saved? Cuz some of us, like me, are tempted <laughs> at times in our life when I'm a little too comfortable or I'm distant from God to say, you know what? I'm just tired of trying to live up to those standards. I'm, I'm just tired of it. And so I can do whatever I want and God's grace is going to cover that, right? I can just, I can do that. I, I want satisfaction in that sin for right now. I know that God's going to forgive me because of Jesus, but Romans 6.1 says this. What shall we say then? Because Paul's about to address this. People were like, Hey yeah, hey, if we sin more, then God's grace will just look even better, right? And so Paul addresses that. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's like like grace is a free ticket to sin. He says this, by no means. By no means. Don't even go there with your thoughts. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And then down to verse 11 in Romans 6, 6, it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So I am absolutely thankful for the grace of God, but it's not a free ticket to sin. This is grace. It's that as I'm pursuing the kingdom of God, and I do fail, because as Pastor Todd said last week or the week before, that the presence of sin is still, we still have the presence of sin. The presence of sin is not going to be done away with until Jesus comes comes back and does away with it, right? Right? So as I'm pursuing the kingdom of God and I do fail and I fall, Jesus is before the throne of his Father in heaven pleading on our behalf, saying, nope, I died for that. I died for that. I died for that. And I died for that. And then he reaches out his hand and he says, Nick, get up. Let's keep going in the right direction because all that other stuff is destructive to you and that's not the abundant life that I want you to live. I fear that in so many people, even people inside and outside the church, we just have misdefined grace. Not that what we've said about grace isn't right, it's just incomplete. And so two parts of grace fall like this that that the first part is that there is the free gift of salvation. Grace defined is that we're given something that, that we do not deserve so we're given this free gift of salvation, sins wiped away, removed as far as the east is from the west, right? Forgiven for all time. But then there's this, this next part of grace that I think we can't separate. I was reading in 2 Corinthians just on Friday about Paul. And he, uh, he says, so that I wouldn't get conceited... Or proud because of the revelations that God had given to me. I was given a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what it was. He doesn't say what it was. But I was given this thing to struggle with it. I pleaded with God three times to take it away because this was, this was a hard thing in life. And you know what he said? Jesus actually said to me, he said, my grace, he said, no, first of all, I'm not gonna take it away. Here's why, because my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in Weakness. And I wrote this in the, in, the, uh, in the margin of my Bible. Grace enables us to live rightly in spite of our inability to do so on our own. When we fail, God offers grace through Christ so we can get back up forgiven and change. So, yeah, we're given grace, free gift of salvation. But it doesn't just stop there, that's incomplete the grace of god allows us to now that we've been given it through the power of the holy spirit to actually live right lives because without the holy spirit and without the grace of god in our lives there's no possible way that you will be able to live in the way that god wants you to live god's the creator he defines what abundance is and jesus said i came so that they may have life and they have it more abundantly there's this amazing story in John 8. We're coming, we're, we're, we're wrapping up. There's an amazing story in John 8 of this woman caught in adultery, and, and by their law, she could have been stoned. She should have been stoned to death. My first question is where's the dude in this? But anyway, besides the point, there's this woman, she's circled by the religious leaders of that day and some other people, and they all have stones, and they're about to stone her because she should have been stoned because she was caught in adultery, right? Jesus comes on the scene, and he gets down, and he writes something in the sand. We don't know what he writes, but then he says to them, you who is without, the, without sin, throw the first stone. And so they all know they can't claim to be without sin, and so they put their stones down, and they walk away. Jesus goes up to that woman, and he says, Woman, look, has anyone condemned you? She looks up and says, no one. And he says, neither do I. Now go leave your life of sin, right? And so Jesus, the only person, the only person alive who actually could have thrown the first stone by his own standards, because he said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone, He could have picked it up and thrown it because he was without sin, but what did he say instead? He said, no, I don't condemn you either. You're not condemned. That's grace, right? And then what does he say? He doesn't stop there. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. Why? Because your sin is is still an offense to God and an offense to his holiness. And... Your sin's destructive, and that's not the life that I freed you to live. And so we gotta live thankful for God's grace and prioritizing the holiness of God in our life, which Romans 1 says is our spiritual act of worship. And secondly, living out the abundant life that God has for us, not giving in to the destructiveness of sin in our lives. So don't be casual, don't be lazy about coming to church. Don't get too comfortable, right? But let God continue to change you. Casualness in our relationship to God leads to frustration, anger, fear, and guilt. Obedience, honor, and reverence for God's holiness gives us freedom in our worship. And it can all be summed up in this one take-home truth. And, you, and pay attention to this because I think you're going to use it in your lighthouses if you're in a lighthouse. It's another plug for lighthouses. They say they want 100% of the people in this room in lighthouses. So get in a lighthouse. Here it is. It is necessary to fear God rightly in order to worship Him properly. And so we're going to just take a moment here. We're going to have a chance to come up and take communion, there's two tables in the front, two tables in the back. But I can say this, if you're here today and you have no idea what we're talking about when we say a relationship with Jesus, here is how you, today, in this moment, can prioritize the holiness of God. You don't have to know any more than this, that the holy standard of God is Perfection. Every single person needs to meet that in order to go to heaven. That is impossible. Because Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God sent his son Jesus because he was perfect, he died on the cross, and he took the penalty. He paid the righteous price to take our sins away. So if you don't know Jesus today, as people are coming up to these tables, it's gonna be chaotic, so you don't have to feel awkward, but just in your seat there, you don't have to know any more than the fact that you need Jesus to save you. And so after service, if you wanna pray with me or one of the elders or the person that brought you or whatever, do that, but deal with your salvation today. You can even take the card out of the, the, the seat in front of you, and there's a bunch of options. You receive Christ today, or, or, or I want to know more about this. I want to pray with somebody, whatever it may be, and you can put it in the box when you leave. But deal with this today. That's how you can prioritize the holiness of God in your life. And so the band is going to come back out, and uh, is that how we do that? <laughs> And we are going to sing a song that's called Exalted Overall. And I love this song because the chorus says, One name is higher, one name is stronger than any grave, than any throne, Christ exalted over all. And so as we come to the tables to, to take the communion, this cracker and this juice, all they are are symbols, right? You can come and you get them, you bring them back to your seat and then in a moment, after we've sung some of this song, I'll come back up and lead us through taking those together but let's not be casual about just singing another song. In these moments, and even if you don't sing, we would rather you be connected in your heart to God and just completely enthralled in Him. In these moments, connect with God. Don't be casual about that. And let it drive you to the rest of your life outside of these walls. Let's pray.